the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from my office in San Jose, California. I'm back live today. Uh, You heard one of my previous shows last Friday. I was not able to broadcast last Friday because my daughters were graduating from middle school. Um, I'm a very proud dad. Uh, My daughters are now officially no longer students at their prior school. They are eighth grade graduates. They're enjoying their summer before they go back to the grind of high school in the fall. But they're actually excited uh, going off to high school. Uh, For those of you who know the Santa Clara Valley and maybe here in the Bay Area as well, my daughters are going off to Notre Dame High School in San Jose, go Regents. And I'm very proud of them. I think they're going to have a wonderful experience there. They're not only going to come out at the other end well-educated, but they're going to be much more confident and uh, steady young ladies when they graduate in four years' time. So I'm uh, I'm in no hurry for them to get through high school because I don't want them to leave and head off to college and you know, and then, you know, I'm already feeling kind of the empty nest syndrome. Those of you who have had kids that have left home, I'm already starting to feel a little of that just because now they're no longer in grade school or middle school. And I'm sure uh, many of you can appreciate what I'm talking about there. But that being said, uh, let me go ahead. Oh, let me turn my phone down here. Sometimes I forget to turn the phone down in the office and it rings while I'm on the air. So I just turned off the ringer. Um, I'm going to go back to my usual format of the show today, which is handling questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, And uh, later in the show, I may open the show up uh, to take calls. In fact, uh, I'll open it up right now if someone wants to call in. The number is 800 516 1220 800-516-1220. You'd think after all this time I'd have that memorized, but I still have to look at a sheet to make sure I get it right because um, I never call it myself. And, and you know how if you never call a number, you don't necessarily remember it, except maybe your cell phone number and your home phone number if, if you still have one. But it's 800-516-1220. If you'd like to call in and you have a question, my Engineer is standing by to take your call should you decide to call in. But 
no one calling in in the last 15 seconds since I announced this. I'm going to go ahead with questions and comments from around the state of California that have come into my inbox. Okay. From Riverside, California. Person says, hello, me and my husband own a house which is financed and we pay a monthly mortgage. Both our names are on the mortgage. We have two kids under 18 years of age. Currently, if we die tomorrow, what will happen to the house? Excellent question. The answer is, I can't be absolutely sure what will happen to the house, but I'll tell you what it will need to do in order to get passed on to those two children, and that is it will have to go through probate. If it's not held in a trust, but it's held in individual names, it's going to go into probate court there in Riverside County. And because the children are under age, they can't legally receive their inheritance directly because minors cannot directly own property. So that will trigger the need for a guardianship to be set up, not only to take care of the children, someone to be put in charge of their person, meaning taking care of them personally, but also someone in charge of their estate, which is what they will be inheriting from the parents. Because it is financed and there is a mortgage, the question always comes up, well, how does the mortgage get paid if I have a mortgage on my house and I die? How does the mortgage get paid? And my answer is, I don't know. How does a mortgage get paid after the owner of the property dies? The answer might be as straightforward as it doesn't get paid, which means if it doesn't get paid long enough, the lender may come in, foreclose, and take the house away from the family. The more likely result here is if there's not life insurance sufficient to pay off that mortgage and then also to maintain the property, paying the property taxes, the insurance, and the maintenance on the property for the benefit of those underage children, it may be that there will be no choice but to actually sell the property, cash out as much as possible, and then use those funds to help take care of those children. So they may and likely will lose their home unless there's other resources that can pay the mortgage or pay off the mortgage and also pay for the taxes, insurance, and maintenance of the property, as well as take care of them. This is why I'm a big believer in having life insurance. When you're young and you have young kids, you can get a lot of life insurance for a pretty insignificant price if it's term life insurance. Um, I would consider getting term life insurance on both of the parents, at least for a time period sufficient to make sure that the kids are now grown up uh, before the insurance expires, and uh, perhaps even permanent insurance in an amount sufficient to pay off that mortgage in case that needs to happen. I mean, it can be very tragic if, say, the, the one parent who is the breadwinner passes away and now there is literally no way to maintain a family home, 
no money to pay the mortgage, taxes, insurance, and maintenance, and all those things, because there wasn't, for example, life insurance sufficient to handle those things so that the surviving parent, uh, who may or may not be working, may have to go back to work, but at least if there's proper planning in advance, there's not going to be the issue of having uh, a mortgage payment and no money for that and no money to pay for taxes and insurance and maintenance on the property. Uh, I'm sure it happens regularly here in California that um, a parent passes away and the surviving parent has no choice but to sell sell the family home because they have no means to pay off that mortgage and uh, and maintain the property for the family. It's less of an issue if both parents are working and they have good jobs. Then it, it may be harder, but they may still be able to keep the property. But in a case like this, for this family, at a minimum, they need to get that house owned by a living trust so that it can be handled without going into the probate court so they can name people to take over and handle the property for the benefit of their children. Uh, They need to have nominations of guardians, which could be done in a standalone document or in wills for them so that there's someone named to actually handle uh, handle the children and handle their inheritance. The trustee of a trust can handle their inheritance, and it can be somebody separate from the person nominated as the guardian to actually care for the children. But that's what I would tell this family. They need to get an estate plan in place right away. Okay, we're coming up on the first break of our show today. And uh, when I come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio with questions and comments from around the great state of California. If you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220, and I will take calls on the air today if someone wants to call in and ask a question. See you on the other side of the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman. And welcome back to the second half of our show, not second half, excuse me, the second segment of our show today here on Plan Your State Radio. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And let me now go to one out of Santa Clara, California. Seem to know where that is. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's in my county. Person asks, in California... Is a durable power of attorney that's created along with a living trust valid if there's no notice given to the previous durable power of attorney holder that their power of attorney was revoked? The answer is absolutely it's valid. In fact, typically a power of attorney, a durable power of attorney, will state that any prior power of attorney is revoked. Now, I would say if you have a new person that you've named, it would be a good practice to notify the person on the previous power of attorney that they have been replaced on a new power of attorney. If they're actually acting under the authority of a power of attorney, meaning they have 
current authority as opposed to what we call a springing power, meaning a power that comes into effect after someone has become incapacitated, then you definitely should notify them formally that their authority has been revoked um, so that they're, they're not going on thinking that they're still in charge or that they're supposed to take over in the future. So it would be a good idea to actually uh, let anyone named in a prior power of attorney that has been replaced to kind of let them know they've been replaced. Of course, if they never got a copy of the power, first power of attorney in the first place, kind of really doesn't matter because they wouldn't necessarily even know that they were named to take over as the agent under a power of attorney. Okay, here's one out of Whittier, California. And this is one of those situations where, <coughs> excuse me, um, little allergies today. One of those situations that, uh, depending on what's going on in here, there might be some real nasty business going on. And if there is, it's the kind of thing that really gets me angry uh, personally and professionally. Person says, my mother passed away in January of this year. Since then, my brother has taken my dad to go change everything in his name and uh, had me removed off of everything. My brother can sweet talk my dad into anything. My dad can't read or write. All he had was a second grade level education. My brother's been using my dad's account for his personal use. He stopped the mail for 30 days, doesn't even live there with my dad. He's changed my dad's mail to be sent to his address. He's changed the Kaiser Healthcare to be the one to call for dad's appointments. When I've been here doing that for my dad for the last 21 years. And he only comes to visit one time a month. Um, uh, like he's the one taking care of my dad. All right. What I'm hearing here, there's a lot of things swimming around in this fact situation. But if... If a child basically is taking advantage of a parent and the parent's a senior citizen, um, this could be elder financial abuse. If he's using the father's um, account, presuming that means bank account for personal use and is taking over and running things, um, but especially using his bank account for personal use, that's elder financial abuse. This person should immediately go to the district attorney's office in the county where they're located and and basically tell them, I have concerns about this. This is what my brother has done in relation to my father. I believe he's done this. I believe he's done this. Please check into that. Because if it turns out the brother did, in fact, take advantage of the father and is using the father's money, and induced him to sign paperwork that maybe he can't even read or comprehend, then um, he would likely be removed of having any authority at all over his father. And he could even be prosecuted by the district attorney for, for elder financial abuse. This is a real problem out there. And usually, usually the person that is financially abusing an elder 
is a relative, often a child. And that's something that is sad and pathetic and infuriating all at the same time. A number of you listening to me right now have maybe experienced that in your own family or your friend's family or your extended family. And uh, it's always bad news. It's always inappropriate and in some cases flat out illegal and subject to prosecution by the authorities. So that's what I would suggest to this person is to actually go and check into that to see, uh, to have the authorities check into what's going on and stop this abuse by his brother if, in fact, the brother is um, financially abusing the father. Okay, out of Sacramento, California. Couple says, we recently restated our 18-year-old revocable trust. I'll say on the side, probably a good idea. 18 years old for a trust is quite a long time ago, and there have been a lot of changes in the law and even planning options that we use nowadays compared to 18 years ago. Even though it's been amended, um, it had been amended. It was horribly out of date with the law and with our wishes. The restated trust states that the original trust reserved the right to amend the trust in whole or in part, pretty typical, and that we revoke all restatements and amendments to that instrument, again, pretty typical. I've seen several opinions about the need to keep the original trust, but I'm concerned it may just cause confusion. With the wording in the restatement mentioned above, should we still keep the original trust and must we keep the amendments also? There's really two schools of thought here. Some would say take the original documents that you have that you've replaced and destroy them, or at the very least draw a big, bold line, uh, diagonal line across the face of each document and write revoked, and then maybe sign your name or put your initials, both of you there, and put a date on it, something like that. I typically keep copies of the earlier documents stored electronically so that there is a history in case there's a question about whether or not a restatement could be done. Making reference to the original trust document that authorizes that might be necessary to demonstrate that the restatement actually was appropriate. Because I've seen restatements done where it was not permitted in the way that it was done and is subject to being attacked. So that's what my practice is. We're coming up on the mid-show break, and when we come back, We'll have more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll see you on the other side. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. We're going to go forward with more Plan Your Estate Radio here as I look at some more questions and comments from around the state of California. So let's look at the next one I've got here in my stack. We've got, um, let's see here, out of San Diego. Uh, My ex-wife died a year and a half ago. 
our 50-year, our 50-year-old daughter asked my ex-wife's husband, that's her stepdad, if she could see her mother's will. All he said to her was that she should, quote, live her life and everything would be fine. Even if my ex-wife left everything to her husband, is my daughter legally entitled to see her mother's will? My daughter and her mother were very close, so this behavior is odd. Her stepfather told her they didn't have a trust, which is also odd because they own a home and have sizable assets. This is kind of a, an interesting question, so let me see if I can break it down. First of all, we'll call the ex-wife Mary. If Mary died and had a will, then her husband, the stepdad, legally is required to file or lodge that will in the probate court of the county where Mary lived. In this case, presumably San Diego County. Uh, it has to be filed so that anyone can look at the will and see what the will says. Now, that's even if the will says, I leave everything to my husband, John. John still has to file that will, especially since Mary has a child out there who is not John's child. So um, the fact that he will not share that information with his stepdaughter, uh, to me, is a little bit problematic. Uh, now, if everything, if she had a will, but she owned everything jointly with John, then that means that Mary's daughter uh, probably is not receiving anything right now and will only receive uh, things if John's will says, um, I, leave, I leave everything to Mary's daughter. Uh, and it might very well do that. He may have no children of his own. He may have no other relatives he wants it to go to. He may have uh, had an agreement with Mary. You know, yes, if you go first, uh, I'll leave my will the same way and everything will go to your daughter when I die. We don't know any of that. The key, though, is that Mary's daughter is entitled to see the will, because if there's an actual will, legally, it has to be filed, or what we call in legal terms, lodged with the court there, in this case, likely San Diego County. Uh, that doesn't mean that if everything was left to John, that John can't change the whole thing and decide to leave the entire estate at his death to the Salvation Army or something like that. So we don't really know the answer to that question. Uh, we don't know what kind of planning John has done. Um, but I do know that Mary's daughter is entitled to see a copy of the will because um, it has to be filed, legally has to be filed with the court, even if everything was left to John. Okay. So, here we go. My aunt and uncle both died over 30 years ago, leaving only one son and no will. Their house was titled just in their names. They had no trust. Their son continued to live in his parents' home, and he just died, also with a will, leaving his estate to charity. 
title on the real property of my aunt and uncle were never transferred to their son. Now what happens? How does the property get taken care of? And does it go to their son's estate, even if he didn't transfer the title? This is in Stockton, California. I think what you're going to find in a situation like this is, um, depending on how the aunt and uncle own the house, it may be that when one of them died, the house by law passed to the survivor. That would be the case if it was a joint tenancy. Then when the survivor died, let's assume it was Aunt Aunt Josephine was the survivor of the aunt and uncle, then she died. Then under the laws of intestate succession, the property would have passed to their son. It sounds like the son just didn't bother to do anything just continued to live in in the home, and then he died, but his will left his estate to charity. So what's probably going to have to happen is there's probably going to need to be two probates commenced, and maybe even by the ultimate charity that's receiving things, because they're the only ones that really have an interest in the outcome. Uh, one would be a probate of the survivor of the aunt and uncle, and at the same time a probate of their son's estate, with the first probate directing everything to be turned over to the son's estate, and then the son's estate in probate directing everything to be turned over to charity. Um, it's kind of a mess, but um, but that's that's likely they're likely looking at or somebody is looking at two probates and I would nominate um, the charity let the charity know what's going on let them hire an attorney to sort all that out because they're the ones that are getting the benefit at the end um, not uh, not a nephew or an or a niece who's asking the question in the first place Okay, out of San Diego. Objection to trustees' accountings. What's the process for this? Trustees even charging for emails to her, which she ignored, made me struggle to get to reply and answer, only answered like one question out of three or four, which made me have to send the questions that she wouldn't answer at all and still hasn't. She's charging for errands run by her assistant, which he'd, which he'd said there'd be no charge for, and now both of them are not commenting on the matter, although I've asked many times now, even poised as a single question in an email, so she couldn't avoid it, but she did just that. Then she finally replied after I contacted her lawyer and informed him, as if he didn't know, that the trustee was breaching fiduciary duties, and he had a duty for me as well. I'll say right now, the attorney representing the trustee does not have a duty to the beneficiary. They're... they're their client is the trustee, not a beneficiary. Um, but then that attorney told the trustee to reply, and she reluctantly did with answers unanswered as usual, saying she told me many times before when I asked for proof in writing that she's going to do a final accounting before she steps down to a successor trustee uh, that, that I have lined up and that I can object to it after she submits it for approval. Um, yeah, and okay, well, that's true. 
Uh, but then the person says, what about the other two accountings which I object to? I'll tell you what, objecting to an accounting may involve you actually going to court formally and uh, filing an objection to the accounting. Uh, you, you don't just like saying, you know, well, I object. Um, you, you may have to do it formally, legally, if the trustee ignores you. Or says, well, you know, that's fine. I don't, I don't accept your objection. Then you actually have to go to court and object formally in court and let the court sort out all of the issues. Okay, so that that kind of is a short answer to that fairly convoluted uh, situation that this person was facing. Okay, out of Los Angeles, someone said, my mom passed a month ago, and I haven't heard from anybody about her home that was put in the family trust. So no one's contacted me. Well, that's not tremendously unusual. I mean, if someone has to take over because someone's died, um, there's often many things that have to be done pretty much right away, like getting the person buried, uh, maybe you know, having a service take over at some point, uh, having some kind of a funeral service or other, a memorial service. At some point, whoever the trustee is, is going to need to actually um, notify everybody who is a beneficiary of the trust. And by that, I mean they're going to have to send out a formal notice with copies of the trust. That's prescribed in the law. Um, but that doesn't necessarily happen instantly. Um, I try, once I get engaged to do administration, I try to get that notice out within a few days. Uh, because it actually starts a statutory time period running for a beneficiary to formally complain about the trust or attack the trust or file a lawsuit objecting to the trust or whatever it is. And uh, when that time runs out, if a beneficiary has not done something before that time, then we say they are foreclosed from taking legal action in the future. Uh, they had the right to take action. They didn't take action. And after a certain time goes by, they can no longer take action. That's kind of uh, what the purpose of that notice is. Okay, well, we're coming up on the the uh, end of this segment of the show today. When I come back, I'll be finishing up the show today with a few more questions and comments. Um here in the state of California. And uh, when we get back, uh, like I said, I'll wrap up the show. I've got maybe three or four more to cover. And then um, and then we'll close out the show for today and head off into what promises to be a pretty nice weekend as far as weather goes, as near as I can tell. Okay, so we'll talk with you after this third break and finish up the show. This is attorney Bob Burden. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back as we start the final segment of the show today. So I have a few more uh, questions and comments from around the state of California to cover before we call it quits today. Uh, This is one out of Barstow, California. Um, people uh, know that Barstow is pretty much on the way to Las Vegas if you're going by uh, by car. 
Um, my wife and I have done that a number of times, including uh, including one time when we had our our daughters when they were still real little ones in the car seats and the double stroller. Um, and uh, and it, it's a long drive, but it's kind of an interesting drive to drive from San Jose to Las Vegas, especially going through the Mojave Desert and, uh, and looking and seeing like the giant uh, solar panel farm they have out there and how bright that is when you go by. It's, it's, it's blindingly bright. So this person said, my last parent has passed on. Can my sister sell their house without me uh, here in California. My sister wants to sell the house without my consent. The house was left to both of us. Can she do this? Short answer is probably not without your consent. Now, if the house was in a trust and the sister is the successor trustee, she likely has the power and authority to sell the house and then distribute the proceeds from the sale 50-50. But I would say the sister should really uh, not just do that without getting her brother, this person asking the question, on board with that. Um, so even though someone's a trustee and has the authority to act, it doesn't mean that they should completely ignore getting consent and buy-in from the beneficiaries on an action that they're planning to take that something is extreme as actually um, actually uh, selling a property that um, that was left to both of them. So not enough information to determine whether or not consent is necessary, but if there was no trust and it's just left to the two of them, then absolutely not. One of the owners can't sell the property without the consent of the other owner. So um, that's kind of how I would answer that. Now, here's someone that says, um, do I have to worry about reassessment of property taxes if my mother leaves me her house in her will? I would say, first of all, this person, your mother should put her house into a trust so you don't have to go through the probate process to inherit the house. This is in San Diego. And person was wondering about Proposition 13 and Proposition 19. My, um, if my mother leaves her home, uh, leaves me her home in a trust, I don't know if I'm crazy or something. I'm not sure what the person meant by that. But the short answer is, if you live in the house already, or if you plan on moving into your mother's house after her death and making it your own residence, then under Proposition 19, you would be able to avoid reassessment to the extent that the value of the house on the date that your mother died was less than or equal to the assessed value on the date of her death plus $1 million. For example, if the assessed value when mom died was $350,000, add a million to that, that's $1,350,000. If the market value of the house was $1.2 million, that's less than the assessed value plus a million. 
And as long as you move in and occupy it as your residence within a year of mom's death, and, and in this case, usually that's considered to be filing a homestead exemption in the county, proof that you've actually occupied as your residence, it's filing a homestead exemption, then there would be no reassessment of the property taxes. Uh, just receiving the property and having it not be your residence, it will be 100% reassessed under current California law because of Proposition 19. So here's one out of Imperial, California. And person says, I have full authority under a power of attorney for my friend who is currently incarcerated in prison. He has to file bankruptcy to save his home. Can I sign for him? So apparently he says, my friend is receiving the family home through probate. Since he has a judgment against him, he was told to file bankruptcy to save the house. The prison is 12 miles from the main city. I'll be hiring a bankruptcy attorney for him, but was wondering if I could sign the papers on his behalf. Well, if you do have power of attorney, it's likely that you have the authority to sign on his behalf assuming it's a current power of attorney where you're named as authority as the agent right now, you can probably sign the papers on behalf of your friend who is in jail. So that's it for today. Um, Until next week, there'll be more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Hope you have a great weekend and stay safe on the roads out there talk with you next Friday. Until then, goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.